Hey, this is Kathy Clotes Guest, author of Stop Boring Me, How to Create Kick-Ass Marketing Content, Products, and Ideas Through the Power of Improv, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2017 this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is the one event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. You will leave the conference with all the materials you need to take a content marketing strategy back to your team and to implement a content marketing plan that will grow your business. To register and get the best price, do two things. First, go to marketingbookpodcast.com and click on the Content Marketing World banner Make sure to go through marketingbookpodcast.com so they'll know I sent you. Seriously, there's a bottle of scotch in it for me for everyone who registers through marketingbookpodcast.com. Then, for the lowest price, when you register, make sure to use promo code marketingbook and they'll knock $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details after the interview. Today, we welcome Kathy Clotes guest to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Stop Boring Me, How to Create Kick-Ass Marketing Content, Products, and Ideas Through the Power of Improv. Kathy Clotes guest is a business storytelling strategist, author, speaker, and comedian. The founder of Keeping It Human, her professional mission in life is to help organizations turn jargon monoxide into compelling business stories, abolish boring marketing, and uncover boldly creative ideas for marketing content, products, branding, and more. A stand-up comic and improviser, Kathy has written one other book on humor, content, and storytelling, The Marketing Executive's Bedtime Guide to Better Content and Storytelling with Humor. And interesting fact... She has a degree from Stanford University, and I'll explain why that's interesting in just a moment. Kathy, congratulations on Stop Boring Me, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks so much, Douglas. Now, do you go by Douglas or Doug? Douglas. Douglas, okay. Or host, or... <laughs> or overlord, or whatever, yeah. No, please. <laughs> but thank you for indulging my sense of you know importance. Of course, of course. No, I, I'm excited to be here. I love what you're doing with the book podcast. In fact, I found out about a couple of great books from the podcast. And and I think podcasts are so great today because, as we were talking about before before we started recording, it's a shorthand way for people to find out about new things. We're just all so overloaded. So I appreciate the work you do. Well, thanks. I enjoy doing it. It's all working out. Now, I should say about the Stanford thing, okay? Mm-hmm. By marketing podcast law, I am required to interview any author with a degree from Stanford because I think you are like the 
12th or 13th author on this podcast with a degree from Stanford. It just, <laughs> just has me wondering, are they, like, when you apply to Stanford for some degree program, is there a question like, what are your intentions for writing a book about, you know, marketing or sales? I'm just curious because there are so many. It, it is actually in the contract before you get your degree, and there's a secret handshake and there's a couple of songs we got to learn. Yeah, it's, it's part of the, <laughs> wow. it's part of the, part of the Stanford University complete package. Okay. Uh, I or, I ordered the high end package complete with mandatory authorship. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, I I figured I was onto something. Andrew Luck, the uh, Stanford grad who's the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, his people yeah. keep contacting me about this marketing book he's working on, and I I just I just didn't know what was going on there. That's cool. I didn't know he was doing a marketing book either, but my God, why not? I mean, yeah, Andrew Luck was a big deal back when he was playing for the Cardinal. I mean, he was a big deal and everyone's like, that guy's going places. Yeah, I think people still think he's a pretty big deal. And actually, he was a mechanical engineering graduate. He had that degree, but he's not really working on a marketing book. But hey, you know, he's full of surprises. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't, I'll tell you, it would not surprise me because I think we can learn a lot from some athletes. Yeah. A lot to be said. So, uh, if in fact at some point he did contact you about a marketing book, well, again, there's there's the mandatory uh, degree authorship kind of thing. Oh, so. I'm required to interview. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. you're a comedian, and I saw something the other day on I can't hear Facebook. One of my comedian friends, I think it was. I don't think it was you, and they were talking about how. You know, they'll go to a party and somebody they'll say, "Oh, uh, I'm a comedian," you know, and and like he met this guy who was an accountant and you know the accountant said oh you're a comedian be funny and he said something my friend said something like oh you're an accountant prepare my return uh, yes i said that to tim washer we were That's we were both plummeting you see how you're inside my head Kathy? yes it was you yes because T- tim's a mutual friend and he's great and tim and i were, were talking about this it's like there's just times where it's like when people find out that you have a, an improv comedy background, it's like, hey. And yeah, somebody said that to me at a party. They're like, oh, this accountant was like, hey, you know, be funny. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and so I looked at my husband. My husband was like, you do not, you do not want to start stirring up the monkey cage, man. So he walks away. He walks away. My husband smartly walks away. And I was just like, and I jokingly said, well, you know, I don't, I don't walk up to accountants at a party and say, hey, do my returns. You know, do my deductions. And- so it was Kathy Cloat's guest. I, here I was. I thought it was one of my other uh, lesser <laughs> comedian friends. So, Well, you know what? Not to say that they haven't had a similar experience, because I think every comic, I'm willing to bet money, Douglas, that every comic has had that. The minute somebody finds out that you have a background in improv comedy, they're like, hey, <laughs> free entertainment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, the book, the title, Stop Boring Me. Kath, it really spoke to me. That phrase is so familiar to me. You know, in, in my career of making presentations and so forth, if I had a nickel for every time someone shouted, stop boring me, I, I'd have a lot of nickels. And then if you add in the people that threw things while saying stop boring me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there'd be even more. But Yeah. So, you know, I, I love the name. And you say that everything great you learned about marketing came from comedy. So can you share with the listener the story of your journey from, I guess, the business world to comedy and back? 
Sure. Well, it was, it's interesting because it's sort of a parallel universe. I never left business. You know, I like to say there's, there's people who are in the, the fast lane of life and some of us are in the, the slow lane or the middle lane driving maybe uh, 55, 60 miles an hour. And it's funny because I never really left the business world. What I did was, you know, five, six nights a week, I would do comedy. And I, I took my first improv class in college. Right after college, I jumped into stand-up. You know, people said, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you got to just get out there and do it, right? And I went out there and did it. And I would be, when I wasn't working, I was hitting, you know, five, six nights a week of study, of, of hitting the stage. And then about six, seven years into stand-up, and I'm a, I come at it as a writer. I'm a writer first, at least that's how I think of it, and a performer. Somebody said, you would be really good at improv. So I jumped into improv. I yes-anded that. And my head exploded the first year, like literally exploded. Because as a, as a stand-up comic, when you're writing, you're, you're by yourself. You sink or swim by yourself. And what I learned was a whole new way of showing up in the world, which is you are creating collectively. You are creating with other people. And it was like, it was just my, like I say, my head just like projectile sort of, you know, trajectory off my body. And I went, Oh my, what is this? And, you know, work during the day, just improv at night, comedy at night, doing this pretty much every night of the week. And I started over time having these ahas, like, why is it we have these compelling storytelling things happen over here and people are riveted. They're at the edge of their seat. They can't wait to hear how the story is going to end over here. And back in business, we're writing like we're Shakespeare. Actually, that, that would be generous. If I, you know, we're That's writing an insult to the bar. To Sha- exactly. To Shakespeare. I mean, but we're, we're, we're putting our, our formal writing hat on and we're, we're acting like robots when we write and all these ahas started happening like over, over a number of years. And I started realizing that the best thing that ever happened to me was comedy because comedy taught me about segmentation. You don't write for everybody. You don't want to write for everybody. you got to find your tribe. Comedy taught me about the importance of taking risks and seeing what works and testing. It's a living laboratory. So is improv. Improv taught me about creating with other people. And there was nothing like this in a corporate environment. We talk about teamwork, but most of us know that, you know, that, that's a lot of lip service and a lot of, a lot of jargon sometimes, sadly. And I didn't see that happening in corporate. And just over a couple of years, the dots started connecting for me. And I went, ah, there's something to this. And every, every business person should be forced to take an improv class. Just done. It should just be required. Just like, you know, authorship at Stanford. <laughs> right, that's right. It should be required. Yeah. So your book is organized. The first part talks about many things, but include the, the whole explanation of stories and all the elements that go into it in great detail. And then the second half has quite a few exercises and things that you can do. It's almost like, of course, after you read all those exercises, I read through there and I'm thinking, I can't do that. I have to hire this woman. And then it's like, wait a minute, I'm on to her. <laughs> but but I wanted I want to focus more on the first part of the of the book in this in this time we have remaining. But I did want to ask you about probably one of the most important things as it relates to improv and, and a lot of the exercises that you have in the book. Can you explain the concept of yes and and why it's so important and why yes but is its arch nemesis? Mm, I like that. I like that. 
Yes, and is such an important principle for life for anything, and it's really the cornerstone of improv. You can break a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules in improv, but as you go through your improv journey, you discover that once you learn the rules, you can break the rules. And the one rule, really, honestly, I think at the heart and soul of improv that you cannot break and without doing damage to the scene or to the group is yes, and. That's the one principle that's always got to be there. What it means is when somebody makes an offer, you've got to yes it. You have to accept it. Yes means accepting what they say as fact and adding on to it. That and is really important. I could even go as far as say you could probably deny somebody in in what we call long form in a longer 30 minute scene or or a story, I should say. You You can deny somebody, but you can't get rid of the and. The and means you are building onto what they have said. And that is super important. And I think most of us go through our lives, yes, budding, just yes, budding. Yes, but, or no, that won't work. And we think because we said yes, that no one's going to hear the but. (laughs) But the but means I don't agree and I'm going to try and kill it. The but is a denial. It's what we call a blocking or denial in improv. And, And what ends up happening is what you're saying is yes, but the but says my idea is better. And it shuts people down. And, you know, we've all been in really horrible, horrible team, uh, you know, brainstorming or team building sort of meetings or whatever you want to call them. And they, they're just awful in part, I think, because people feel their ideas are shot down. People are yes, butting each other. They're no butting each other. There's not a lot of yes anding going on. And what you're doing is you're fighting for ideas. You're saying my idea is better than yours. And what if we stepped back? What if we stepped back and said, all right, It's not about right or wrong. Creativity is not a right or wrong binary option. But what if you said something to me, Douglas, you said, hey, you know what? The next year, here's what I want to do. I want to have a podcast on the road. I want to do a walking book podcast and all my authors are going to meet me and we're going to do, we're going to walk, we're going to get exercise. And I said, oh yes, and Douglas, you know what else we could do? We could also then try to up the ante and do it on a horseback. We could have it on like a bike, maybe like with a GoPro camera. And I would interview the author while we're, and we get to these crazy ideas. Yes, and we can all stay at Kathy's house. Exactly. And yes, and, and now the thing about yes, and is, it's, yeah, sometimes the ideas go to, go to crazy town and that's okay. We, we may not end up with a viable idea a hundred percent on the moon, but if we just maybe meet halfway in the middle, we're going to end up with an idea that's far better, far more creative than the one we started with, just by virtue of the fact that we created something together. And what Yes And really is at its core is it is creating ideas in the world that never would have existed before, but for the fact that people got together and created it collaboratively. And that's really what it is. Yeah. And you know, and I'm not trying to sound funny when I said yeah, and, but I did a day of training once with Marcus Sheridan, great content marketer, author of They Ask You Answer. And he was doing this training for agency people. And he spent at least an hour at the beginning of the day talking about yes, and. And this was for leading a uh, workshop, teaching us how to refine our, our ability to do workshops. And he really hammered home the whole idea of yes and. Now I have to laugh because either you're looking at my screen right now or, you know, you work for the NSA. You said, you know, we've all been in bad meetings and I'm looking at page 117 of your book. And it's <laughs> top 10. How you know your brainstorming meeting sucks. And I read through these 10 these things and I thought, "Oh my god, I've been in on meetings like 
what you're describing. And so anyway, we're not going to go through all those because I just don't want to pick at that scab, Kathy. No, it's it's, it's a bitter pill for all of us. It's time we can't get back. We cannot get that time back. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So let me just read a quick excerpt from the beginning of the book and we'll go from there. You said, I wrote this book because content, storytelling, and marketing in general need a shot of creativity, humanity, and fun if they're going to get results for your business. Together, we're going to eradicate boring, superficial storytelling and bad content. Sadly, there is too little meaningful content today. It's a case of too much ineffective content chasing too little and oversaturated customer mindshare. So I had always heard about storytelling and content marketing, and I you know, didn't pay uh, too much attention to it. I guess you know, I didn't really understand it. I thought it was Once Upon a Time or Hansel and Gretel. And then I read Paul Smith's book, Sell with a Story. And mm-hmm. that was my first real much much better understanding of of what storytelling is. And it's not Hansel and Gretel. And I wanted to just read one other thing from your book. And you said some marketers use the word story to mean a lot of things that I would not consider true storytelling in its purest sense of the word. Story has lost a bit of its potency in being bandied about so much. So can you explain what storytelling is in business and and maybe what it's not, maybe what some of the misperceptions of it are? Sure. I think we've sort of equated story today with like universal value proposition or selling proposition and people use those interchangeably. And I don't see them the same. Certainly you can't get to a, a solid universal selling proposition without knowing your big story. But your big story is who are you in the world? What do you stand for? Who's the protagonist? And it's not necessarily your company. If it's your origin story, yes. But who are your customers? They're the protagonist. What is their conflict that you solve in the world? How do you make their lives better? How do you leave them better off for having interacted with you? And those are the really important things that have to be answered in a story. And a story can be short. And everybody's heard the one-liner from uh, Hemingway, Wave Shoes for Sale, Never Worn. That has all the elements of a story. It doesn't have to be a long story. I think we do sell story short because it really has to have an emotional current. But without at least five things, Douglas, I don't think it qualifies as a story because it doesn't have the details to to have that level of emotional relevance. Well, what what are the elements that you need for remarkable stories? Yeah, who's the protagonist? Who's the protagonist? And and make me care. I want to know something about them. And a, and a company cannot be a protagonist. So the company did this, the company did that. No, that's just a crappy book report. <laughs> and that is not, it's got to be anchored in a, through a human lens, through yeah. a human brain. Actually, you know what? Let me interrupt. You said at one point, you explained that to the, to the reader that your company and products are not the focus. They are merely enablers to unleashing your customers' super awesomeness. So- I got the impression that I certainly in my world, I've seen companies are trying to make themselves all about it. And I'm reminded of Anne Handley's quote about make the customer the hero of your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she's right. I think there are exceptions, like if it's an origin story and you're fighting the Goliath and you're the underdog and, and people see themselves in that. There is something, I think, to be said for having an origin story that obviously, you know, focuses on you, but it should also include the customer as a hero. How are you going to then, by creating something new in the world, make somebody's life better? And 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 a, a great story answers that and says, all right, you know, if we're a giant networking company, we make routers and hubs. And that's not, not only not sexy, but what is that? Who cares? 
unless you say, look, the reason our equipment is important is because what we're doing is we're enabling people to connect at every level every day and do all kinds of from micro micro commerce to change lives for women in villages in Africa who are using mobile applications to run businesses and to lift children out of poverty to helping people connect. You know, Skype's got a beautiful, we're talking on Skype. Skype's got a beautiful story about family and connection. It's not about, you know, the, the, the zeros and ones and the, and the packets and the data packets and the, you know, it's, it's got nothing to do with that. So at the heart of every great business is a story about how you are enabling something really fundamentally human in the world. And if you can find the heart of that story, I really believe in my heart of hearts, you are not going to be boring because emotional relevance is not boring. Brings to mind the, I think it was a TV commercials I must have seen in the 1980s for GE on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. where they would, the, the whole slogan was GE, we bring good things to life. And each one of those was a story of how their technology or their light bulbs or their jet engines were affecting the lives of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we need proportionality. We can't be, not everybody's saving, you know, lives and that's okay. All customers want is proportionality and honesty and transparency, but you can still have a great story just by enabling micro commerce and connection. And, and maybe, maybe on some level you can make the argument it is saving lives in certain limited you know, condition under certain limited conditions. However, just being honest about what it enables your audience to do better. And if you are making their lives better in some way, my gosh, you have the heart of a human story and that's where you need to go. And that's why it's so important again, Douglas, as we're talking about, to focus it through the lens of a, of a human hero and not a, the company did this and the company did that because we just don't care about companies. We don't care. I'm not sure how much we trust companies. We don't. <laughs> we, we, we hate companies. We malign companies. It's the big bad company and we all hate cable companies. We hate cigarette, I mean, the tobacco companies don't get me started yeah these, well these we like are, your company Kathy. We, yeah there you go <laughs> so we've got a protagonist yes and a setting and then what else are some of the things you really have to have in the story you need a conflict and and you need and you need that conflict to be real and to have a sense of consequence so what happens to the manager that can't solve their it issue What's that, at stake? That challenge. What's, uh-huh. what's that? Yeah. What's at stake? And usually, it's something very personal for that that person. Your buyer is not just a professional issue, and and you know fixing their network because there's personal risk. So what's at stake for them personally? It's their reputation. My gosh! Now you're talking about a personal story for your 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 customer's hero. It's their personal reputation on the line. <gasps> we all know what that feels like. Now you've hooked me because I know exactly what that feels like. That's personal to everybody, and you need a sense of, of drama and heightened conflict. Don't shy away from conflict. Yeah, and we're talking about the E word, which would be emotion. Mm-hmm. And you talk in the book about how so many companies are thinking about how they're saying, oh, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be emotional. My buyers are, are purely rational. And you call it out for what it is. <laughs> in fact, you you use the BS word, except you spelled it all the way out, which, I hey, did. respect, yo. So <laughs> but why, why yeah. is the emotion part? Well, I guess you've explained why it's so important, but why does nobody go there? Those were air quotes I used, go there. You know, I think people are afraid if they go there, it's somehow they're bringing their customers down or they're focusing on a negative. But let's face it, the reason customers buy from us is they have a pain point. They're already living in a world of pain or hurt. So it's not like you're making them aware of something they don't already know exists, right? And it's, it's kind of a paternalistic 
kind of attitude, you know, because, you know, customers are, are big boys and girls and they can handle it. They know the truth already. So go there. And I think there's a level of honesty and credibility when you just say, look, we get the conflict because if this stuff doesn't get fixed, your butt is in a sling. And I don't know a certain manager who can't relate to that raw honesty of, yeah, it's my personal risk too, not just my professionalism and my, my team, but what happens to me? So I think it's okay to go there. You can't live in the fire all the time. Some companies, you know, some stories will start out with, you know, everything. I call it the hair on fire kind of thing, platform on fire thing. And you can start some of your stories in the middle of the conflict it just gets exhausting for human beings to to always start there. But we want to start with some level of like, all right, here's this protagonist and here's what's happening in their world. Now, how do we restore a happy status quo? And, and I think we want to see that story go through, yes, the conflict, but we do want to see some resolution. I don't need the fairy tale ending that doesn't exist. Perfection is does not exist in the real world. You know, it's like certain colors of, of blonde. It just does not exist in nature. Oh, that's right, Platter. There's so many little jewels in your book. That one I, I wrote down. Hang on, <laughs> let me find it. Come on, <laughs> Kathy, we got to give you credit for this stuff. Let's see here. You <laughs> talked about, well, it was about another topic. It was about, it was about perfection. So yeah. you know, we're talking about so many companies are trying to be perfect. They're trying yeah. to be unemotional. And you yeah. say that perfection is like a platinum shade of blonde. It doesn't exist in nature. And then you go on to talk about why being vulnerable and embracing imperfection is actually very powerful. It's really powerful. I, I think the, the days of the stories that we get from companies, it's almost, I don't know about you, Douglas, but when I see the perfect bow on a story, I think, oh, BS, like that's not, you know, you know if, you buy, if you buy this car, you're going to get the girl, you're going to get the house, you're going to get this. And it's like, really? Does anybody's life ever end that way? I just want to see some commensurate level of proportional reality. I just want them to go, you know what? Look, we can't help you fix your, fix your marriage, but you know what we can help you do? We can help you communicate better. We can help you with this one thing because it shows that they get that they're not the center of my universe. Right. So and, and, they, and they have a sense of realism about their own advertising and they're not like we're saving babies no you're not <laughs> you're not and so we just want companies to be honest and proportional and commensurate with reality and that that's where the credibility comes in so when i see a company have a sense of humor hey look we, can, we can't fix all your problems but we can fix we can help you with this one i get it and i like it and i like that they're not talking down to me or they're not pretending that that we're all living in this fantasy world of of you know squatty potty where we're unicorns uh, poop rainbow sherbet you know i mean yeah. I'm still waiting for that to happen. I may send that thing back. <laughs> but you know, there was another book on the, the 100th episode of this show was with Dr. Philip Kotler, the uh, father of modern marketing. And mm, his yeah. book, his 55th book, thank you very much, Marketing 4.0, they were, he talked quite a bit about in this, you know, digital era, this, this, this age we're in, it's getting to be a liability if you're too slick and perfect. And you really do need to appear, you need to show your vulnerability. Yeah. It's so yeah. hard for companies to do it. And I don't, they shouldn't all try to be funny, but they can at least try to be, you know, honest and, and sincere because it's really hard to, to mask the, the BS. Plus, you know, consumers, as David Ogilvy once said, the consumer is not a moron. She is your wife. And it was like, stop treating people, stop marketing at people and treating them badly. So the, the protagonist, they've got like a, you know, uh, they're sort of happy or whatever their situation is. And then suddenly there's a challenge, you say. And yes. then they've got this 
tension and conflict. And Mm -hmm. what is it about conflict that just pulls me in every time? There's interesting uh, research that shows, and I I am blanking uh, apologetically on, there's somebody in the storytelling world who did a lot of research on this, the neuroscience of it, but it's fascinating. And I I probably will, after we get off this call, I'll think of it because that's how things like this go. Uh, But it's a really fascinating piece of research that says the minute somebody starts conflict and talks about a problem, we're drawn into a story. We cannot help it because what we're doing is at a, at a biological level, we are identifying with struggle and pain. And we're saying, Ooh, that's, that's similar to my pain. And we want to know how it gets resolved. So when we know that, uh Oh, the shoe's going to drop, we are drawn into that story and we cannot help it. It's how we are wired. And so we just feel like we can project ourselves into the center of that story. And so when you skimp on things like conflict, you're actually hurting your own credibility and your own storytelling because it's in that conflict that people go, that's, that's real, man. That S is real. And I've dealt with it. And I want to see how this person solves it because that's similar to what I've been through. Mm-hmm. So you have got to, got to, got to have that level of, of real conflict so that could go on for quite a while, tension mm-hmm. and conflict. I mean, mm-hmm. the more the better. You could make a three-hour movie. Yeah. But then you talk about one of the other elements is how it gets how it gets resolved. But then talk about the importance of change. This was really helpful for me to learn about, the importance of showing the change and why that's so powerful. In improv, we have a we have a, a saying, which is be changed by something. And so at the end of what we call like a 30 minute long form kind of performance, like we have a, we have an arc, just like you would in a book or a novel. We have an arc, a shorter, shorter uh, version of that. However, we want to know that something's changed in one or more of the of the characters worlds. We want to know. So the expression is be changed by something. And I think it's really similar to any great storytelling. And I think it gets it gets skipped over a lot in business storytelling. And that is what is the change that you have made in that protagonist world because of it. And this is where commensurate reality comes in. We don't want, we don't want the distorted reality. And then they got a car and they became millionaires and every, they lived happily ever after. And they voted for Pedro and all their dreams came true. Exactly. And all their dreams came true and you know, all that good stuff. And we just want to see that something's different. Like you've taken away a pain, something in their life is better. And, and this is where I think that most companies do a really crappy job, Douglas, because they focus on the, we helped our customers make money or save money. No, no, no. And I'll say it again. No. Yes, it matters. But that is not personally and emotionally satisfying. It's a really crappy ending. I was going to use the S word, but I, I caught myself. No, it's free. This is a, uh, this is a dog friendly and cuss friendly podcast. Well, and and it really is. I'm going to bring my own pooper scooper here. I'm going to clean up my own mess. Uh, But it's a crappy ending to leave it at that, that sterile business ending. What I want to know is, oh, okay, great. You fixed a problem for your customer and you help them either save time or make money or whatever. But what does that then in turn do for them personally? That's the change we want to see. So if you helped a, a team make money, 
Maybe that money enabled them to hire five new people and offload everybody on the team and make their lives better. Maybe helping people save time with that extra time they were able to save, they were able to spend more time with their families and actually, you know, and st- stop traveling as much because they hadn't seen, been to one of their kids' baseball games in, you know, a year. Tell me the personal consequence. And that's a great story ending because that is a personally emotional and relevant ending. Yes, you said, again, one of the things I'm going to carve in stone, people buy change, not products. And I just want to quote from page 38. You said, "A, a deep commitment to changing customers' lives for the better. Something bigger than any company is the change your stories must focus on if they are to resonate emotionally with your audience, be memorable, and create compelling calls to action. Uh, Bravo. So, you know, I have to tell you just a quick story. See? See what I did there? (laughs) I did. You know, time to time, I'll get to go give a talk on, you know, marketing and something to think about, and I'm... You know, it's full of facts. And I try to be, you know, as interesting. And a lot of it's based on all these books that I get to read for the podcast. I read your book. Okay. And we're going to talk about change here. And then earlier this week, I threw out the presentation and I wrote a story and it's up to 2,500 words now. And it's just a, it's like a fairy tale, but it's a, a story. And it included all the points I wanted to make, but it followed the elements that we just discussed. And I think I'm going to go with that. I, it's it's so much better. And I think it's going to be so much more interesting for the audience. But bam, you're going to have to tell me how it went. I, I love it. I love it. It does work. And I've been doing it for many, many years. And again, all these things I learned, not in marketing, I learned them on the stage over almost two decades worth of stage work. So it works. And all I did was sort of take my learnings and try to package it in some meaningful way um, so that everybody in business can start to go, oh, you know what? That's how we put the emotional resonance back in what we do. Yeah. So thank you for, for lighting that storytelling fire. Love and it. I'm excited now to get out there and, and, and give it. I'm having some folks look at it, but it's I tried to include it all in there and I was able to make all my points, but in the context of a story where there's some real conflict and, you know, we don't know if the guy's going to make it or not and all that sort of thing. So anyway, good on you, Kathy. Oh, I'm so excited to hear. And you will have to let me know. I want to know. I love hearing when people come back to me and say, Hey, I tried it from the book and it worked. And that's such, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And I love seeing people's storytelling fire get lit. You know, I like seeing people get lit, but a storytelling fire is fun too. Yeah, I'm with you on that girlfriend. <laughs> You're here. Yeah, yeah. So, Kathy, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I think it's really this everybody is phenomenally creative. We are all storytelling animals, we have it in us. I think, unfortunately, it has been weeded out of us in a number of business settings. We don't have to accept that. Because when you are human, even if you're not funny, look, you know, Second City and Comedy Sports would revoke my improviser card if I said that, you know, funny doesn't work. It does. But you don't have to be funny if you're human and you put the emotional resonance back in the work you do. You will not be boring. And everybody, everybody, I don't care what kind of work you do, has that in them. You just need to tap into it. It's like it's a latent skill. that everyone yes. has that you're just trying to wake up and say it's there. I mean, it's you think there. about people 
in the course of their day, they're, they're telling stories to one another about their experiences or what happened. And yet when it gets to business and in business writing, it's like, let's extract all humanity from it. <laughs> let's surgically remove that part of their brain that is appealing to other humans. So, Exactly. And can I just say one thing? I know I, because this is, I think, an important thing. I think comedy is, is the most amazing applied version of storytelling there is because really the only difference that I, I did mention this in the book, but I think this is important because people might be thinking, all right, where's the comedy kind of come in and it, and it does, you know, comedy is storytelling. And, you know, there was a, a instructor I had for many years, uh, quite a, a brilliant person. And he always said, watching somebody pursue a need is story and watching somebody compelled to pursue a need and keep getting blocked but they can't help it. They keep getting up again and they get blocked and keep trying to pursue that and fill that need. That's comedy. Hmm. So we all have that, you know, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. It's just, we like to see people get blocked and get up again and blocked and get up again. And there's something about people not giving up on pursuing that need that, that it goes from just a story to, to the comedy part. So two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Yeah. What books, have inspired your work and career? Oh my gosh, so many books. Oh, so I do a lot of reading on, you know, comedy. And over the years, one of my favorites is still a staple in the, in the improv world is called Truth in Comedy. And it really is about comedy is the truth. It's not about trying to be funny. If we just focused on the truth, the truth of our stories, we'd be more human and more funny. And I believe it's a great book for a business read. Fundamentally changed so much for me. I would say Purple Cow, I think was one of uh, Seth Godin's early works. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, I'll still remember, you want to be a purple cow. And I've never forgotten that metaphor. And I think it's true. And I, and I think that's what's so great about great storytelling. If you can really master great storytelling, you will be a purple cow in a sea of regular cows. Mm. And I think that's such a really important thing. And then more, more recently, I, I read a book that somebody recommended to me. It's called Essentialism. Oh, yeah. Um, what a lovely book, because I think in a world where there's so much coming at us and we're all struggling, I struggle with it too. I'm a working mom. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I, 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 there's not enough brain cycles to go around, but there's too much day left at the end for me of my brain cycle, like every day. <laughs> and I'll tell you, his message is, I think, the right message of how to cut back on that and say yes to the right things. It's the right book at the right time. So it's a great book. Yeah, I've heard Michael Hyatt read something he wrote about it a while back. And actually, I think you recommended that on a recent LinkedIn article, right? Oh, about I did. Yes, your book was on an, an article that Sean Callahan wrote. Sean Callahan works for LinkedIn, and he's the co-author of Building the Big Data-Driven Business, and he's been on the podcast. So I guess he went to 25 authors and then yes. said, here's Kathy's book, Stop Boring Me. And then Kathy recommends... And yours was essentialism. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah it was a, it's a great read and well worth it in, in the data loaded world we're all trying to make sense of. Yes. Yeah. I'm obviously reading everything you write on Facebook to Tim Walker. <laughs> I'm reading articles about you. So, you know, it's a good thing we're separated by a continent or you'd think I'm stalking you. <laughs> we will make sure to include uh, links to all of those books and that article at marketingbookpodcast.com because we're going to have show notes for you. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or, or maybe looking forward to coming out? You know, actually, yes, there is one. And I was talking to uh, probably a mutual friend, Robert Rose. Oh, yes. 
And he and Joe are working on a, a, a book together, and I don't know if I can give the title out, but it's really about... You can, because it's on. It's already mentioned on Amazon, and I'm going to interview him soon about it, and we're going okay, to publish that interview the day the book launches, which is September 8th. Okay, fabulous. Oh, great. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be the person people were pissed off because I did, you know, didn't do the spoiler alert, right? It's like... Yeah, um, beyond me. Yes. I saw it on Amazon today just to double check the the, the statement. Good. No, no, I'm glad to hear. I believe it's called Killing Marketing. And it is not only a great kick-ass title, I think it is exactly what marketing needs. I think marketing has gotten, we're on this hamster wheel, of just too much content, not the right content. And I, I talk about that in the book and I, I clearly cite a lot of the, the research that um, CMI has done. Mm -hmm. And I'm to in total agreement with that whole notion and premise. And I can't wait to see what they do with it and what they're going to recommend. I kind of sort of think I know knowing Robert, and, but, but I'm just excited because I can't think of a more perfect title at this moment in time with marketing. Mm. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to be able to to get a copy and read it and interview. Supposed to be able to interview Joe, and he will then become the second member of the Marketing Book Podcast Guest Three Timers Club, along with Mark Schaefer. Do, do they get a Do they get a bathrobe? Is yeah, it like a bathrobe? Uh -huh. Get a cigar? Do they get a little uh... special lounge? Yeah. Well, I've got I've got to work on membership for this club. Got to. I need you to get some more books out there, Kath, because we can't just have a couple of guys in this club, please. That's right. No, 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 no. We got to bust up this. Can I say sausage fest? We got to we, we got to bust this up. Yeah. So I actually I offered. I said they're co-authoring. I said Robert, I'd love to interview you. You'd be the second time because I interviewed him about his other book, Experiences, the Seventh Era of Marketing. Or we could do Joe, and he'll be a member of this exclusive. You know club along with Mark Schaefer. And so the word came back, it's, it's going to be Joe. So it's good to be the king, you know? Yeah, no, it's good to be the king. No. And well, it's a great concept. And why well, I'm going to have to get my button gear. I, I do have a, another book I'm, I'm working on and I got to get it out there. Yeah. What's because it What's I, it about? Well, it's, it's really this notion of yes, anding, and what does that mean for businesses and culture? And I really think that we are in this next wave of, it is my fundamental belief that we, you know, we talk about innovation in products and products and, and services and business models and all this other stuff, but I really believe we're due for something, you know, a cultural revolution, a business culture revolution. And I believe that most businesses are organized in ways that are not sustainable today. And they're going to have to be a lot more nimble for the future. So uh, Kathy being an improviser and a business person. So yeah, it's going to be a healthy dose of, of really looking at it through the lens of, of agility and, and, and improv. So I'm very excited about it. You're definitely yeah. onto something in Rebecca Lieb's new book about, it's called Content, the Atomic Particle of Marketing. She has a whole chapter about how companies well, in this instance, they're not organized around the content properly. Mm -hmm. And that's really just a, that's just one indication of how companies are really not organized effectively anymore. Oh, she, she's absolutely right. And you know, who's working on that? IBM is, is doing a lot of work in that area, but she's probably already researched that. I think that's a, I think that's a great concept for a book and I think she's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Oh, sure. Um, well, you can come to keepingithuman.com. You can read my blog. I've got some uh, information about the book there. 
And you can find the book on Amazon.com. You can also, if you just want to follow me, see what kind of random thoughts I got, I have every day. They're, they're random. Sometimes they're business thoughts. Sometimes I test humor. Hint, hint. I test jokes out on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I'll I just can look- read what you and Tim Washer exchange with each other. There you go. <laughs> Well, and I do. People are always surprised that, like, I really do. If you if you tweet me, I will respond. I I I will. I will. So uh, you can follow me at Kathy Clotes, no hyphen guest. So at Kathy Clotes guest. Okay, we'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. And there's also one other thing I want to include. I want to. You did an infographic on your site about these mm-hmm. five elements. It's a, a story. I want to include a link to that. It's really uh, terrific. We were looking at it here at the office. So. Cool. Good work. Cool. Now, I have to say, I have to make one admission to you and the audience. I normally have my interviews fairly well organized, or not very well organized, but I have a kind of a, a few things I want to make sure I cover. We covered them here today, uh, Kathy, but I, I really feel like I've gone completely off script <laughs> because I was having Yay. a hard- that tingling means it's working. So in other words, I, I, I'm going back through my notes here and I went, okay, yeah, we did cover that. We did cover that, but it was completely not in the, in the way that I thought it was going to go. So good on you again, Kathy, close guest. Did I successfully knock you off any pre-planned questions? Did I do that? It, and, and, it, and, and you did it very well. That's um, awesome. Yay. So I, I'm feeling energized and I'm, I'm feeling vulnerable. And, but no, but, I'm, but seriously, we, we got through a lot of the things that we really did just scratch the surface. And for that, I apologize. But I would really recommend people pick up Stop Boring Me. What I don't like is when people buy your book and send it to me because that's really getting kind of mean-spirited. They're they're sending it because of the title, obviously. Well, that's the voice of the customer speaking to all of us, man. It's speaking to me. It's speaking to everybody. And boring's a tax that you're shoving at your audience. And you know what? They're not going to pay it anymore. They're not going to pay it today. Yeah, but when my wife started telling me about the book, (laughs) and she's not even in marketing, so... Is she is she including it as a stocking stuffer? Is it like is she is she putting it under your pillow? Yeah, there might be something else going on there, Douglas. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. She she tends to hold it up uh, when she's uh, not really interested in, in hearing what I have to say. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. Oh, too so funny. the name of the book is "Stop Boring Me: How to Create Kick-Ass Marketing Content, Products, and Ideas Through the Power of Improv." The author is Kathy Clotes Guest. Kathy, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Douglas. This was fun. And, and you have to have me back because I need to be in the running to get that sweet, sweet jacket and lounge access. And that closes the book on episode 133 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And to register for Content Marketing World, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com, click on the Content Marketing World banner so they'll know I sent you, and then for the very best price, enter promo code MARKETINGBOOK. And if you have any feedback on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time as we welcome Adele Sweetwood to the show to talk about her book, The Analytical Marketer, How to Transform Your Marketing Organization. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.